Hey, Reading Lens listener, Jason Banzoff here, producer for the Group Talk Network of Podcasts. I want to talk to you about a few things before we kick off this episode. We're going to be ending 2022 with some great Reading Lens episodes. And then in 2023, we got a treat for you. Reading Lens will become the group takeaways with Nick Lindsay. Nick has some great things lined up, so make sure you keep an eye out for the great things coming out in 2023. We can't wait to put these out. So until then, enjoy this Reading Lens classic. Hey, Small Group Network, welcome back to another episode of Reading Lens. We're so glad you chose to take time to hang out with us. Here is how Reading Lens works. Each month, I have with us a guest who is also a Small Group's point person, share with you insights from books we are reading and what our takeaways were and how we plan to incorporate them into our lives, leadership, or our small group. Ben Reed is our guest today. And if we're being honest, he's less of a guest and more of a friend because we've lost count of the number of episodes he has been on. But this is his first time on Reading Lens. Welcome, Ben. You know, Nick, I appreciate that that intro. <laughs> I will say um, you've been doing Reading Lens for a while now, and this is my first invite. So I don't know if I should <laughs> be offended that it's taken so long. Um, I love the, the podcast that you do, and um, I really am grateful yeah. to be on it today. Yeah, this is, I forgot to bring this up. This is actually the, the one year anniversary podcast too. So I went an entire year wow. without, without, you know, having to have you on, right? Congratulations. <laughs> Wait <kidding>. a second. <laughs> I was about to tell you congratulations. And then you said without having to have you on. Um, that's hurtful. <laughs> and um, I reject it. But uh, no, yeah. seriously, congrats, Nick. Um, I, I blame Carolyn because, it. so obviously, as you can tell right away, Ben and I are close friends. We always have to preface, we fight like brothers. So mm. you're going to hear in this episode, we'll probably go back and forth a little bit. So but, in this, um, I'm the older, cooler, wiser, more fun brother. Is that how yes. this is? Yeah, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I was going to say is, I think it's one of the reasons it took so long is like what in one of the first few months that this podcast was going, you were on Carolyn's uh, here to there. And I was like, oh, man, like she used one of my friends right away. And to be fair, you're close friends with Carolyn as well. Right, so it's yeah. like so it's it's uh no big deal but hey I'm do you have to a be on here today no yeah. it, and it is a big deal too nick that you guys just hit the one year mark that's that's a huge deal um i don't know what the stat is on you know how long the traditional podcast lasts but i feel like you've uh you've bucked that trend so yeah well done. thank you appreciate it so you've been on several group talk episodes is there one in particular that you recall recording that that sticks out to you that's a good question um and i'll answer it by darting around because honestly i don't remember them all um but i can just recall particular moments um that i had with carolyn that i had with steve and so for me it's it's been more like as i reflect back on um the number of times that i've, I've been able to jump on i like i'm just grateful for steve's friendship i'm grateful for carolyn's friendship yeah <laughs> grateful for jay daniel and just the number of times that we've been able to sit down and have conversations. I mean, I value, yes, now that you've hit the record button, Nick, that's great. <laughs> but um, for those of you who you don't know this, um, we had a conversation right before this. And so I'm grateful for um, those mutually beneficial times that I've been able to have with Steve and Carolyn and Jay and Nick and um, and all the team at the Small Group Network. So um, yeah. yeah, I don't know one particular episode, but I am really grateful for the relationships that I have. Cool. I actually have one. And uh, I actually don't even know if it's in our archives because it's so, so long ago. But, <laughs> you know, I remember being at JP Morgan and the group talk used to be a conference call. So before podcast, it was a conference call and you would just call Gosh, into the line. Gosh, was that back and... in the 70s? When was that? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that we launched them as a 
That's a conference call. Who yeah. thought that was a good idea? I don't I know. There was no I thought it worked. It worked. I re- so this is how good it was. I remember the exact uh, lesson you taught. You taught about the difference mm. between training and developing mm. or development and that you shouldn't call your leadership trainings trainings because it conveys that it's just going to be one time thing and that they know it as soon as they're done but rather call them developments because you're going to be developing them beyond just the initial training. And so like that had a huge impact for us because we went from, you're going to get a laugh out of this. I don't think I've shared this story with you before. We used to call our trainings SALT, which you get from Purpose Driven Church, right? That's right. Which stands for, I believe, like, yeah, Saddleback Area Leadership leadership training. Training. Yeah, Advanced Leadership Training, right? We ended up calling it Servant and Leadership Training because we had to figure out what to replace the S with, right? <laughs> so it was servant and leadership training. And now mine is gold, which I feel like everyone should take, which is group leadership development. And so Ooh, every month look, we have gold. You not get anything else out of listening to this that you should yeah. steal that from Nick. That's good. Yeah. That's, so, uh, that's gold right there. <laughs> and then if anyone ever gives you crap on the, oh, there's no O in it, you'd be like, all right, on site, like, or online. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can so. easily come up with an O to add in there. <laughs> that's so. good that was that i uh that was a long time ago and i think back uh, you know on my time in ministry although that was just yeah what nine years ago that feels like three or four lifetimes ago that's right so and you've been a friend of the network for a very long time what do you enjoy most about small group network well i mentioned it before but it's it's the relationships for me and and yeah. yes i love the support um you know that i've gotten through podcasts and through um you know, the, the conferences and all of that, that small group network does. But for me, it's been about relationships. Mm-hmm. I, I just, um, I thrive not in doing ministry alone, but in doing ministry with others. And so this whole small group thing is not just a, a talking point for me. It's how I live my life and it's how I like to do ministry. And so, um, in the early days of my time in ministry, it was Eddie Mosley and Alan Pace in the Nashville area mm-hmm. that just took me in. And I was a, you know, knucklehead, 25 year old that uh, didn't know anything, but felt like I knew a lot. And those wise men were able to go, okay, here's, you know, here's the boundaries and here's how we move forward. And here's what um, it looks like to grow a ministry. And here's what it looks like to invest in people because I watched them do that for me. Um, And they weren't getting paid to do that. This was, you know, a lunch on a Tuesday. And so, to me, the value, the, the biggest value of the network has been about relationships. Um, and it was at the local level, not just at the you know national level. It's been, um, yeah, the guys that have taken me under their wing and, and loved on me uh, through ministry. Awesome. That's great. All right. So let's kick off the purpose of the show. And, you know, I got to congratulate you on being the first guest who didn't have to read a book to be on this show because we're going to do a special episode <laughs> uh, today. I feel <laughs> like you're attacking me a little bit, but I'm going to receive it as a compliment I didn't have to read a book. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So this show came but out like... But does that also mean you think I'm a little bit dumber than everybody else? No. I'm trying to I read through this conversation I meant right it now. purely as and, in and like... I don't know your motives. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we're going to talk about... Okay. Ted- okay. Okay. okay, okay. Hang on. Hang on. I got you. So let me speak to your listeners. I think most of them listen because... They don't want to read the book either. They're really glad that you did. So um, if you're listening to this show right now, I'm your people. Uh, You're listening to a (laughs) podcast, not reading a book right now. So that's right. uh, You're welcome. Well, I think that was the sole purpose of this podcast is Steve wanted to read 12 less books. So he was like, you read them for me. (laughs) Uh, Throwing shade on Steve Gladen. It's the best. (laughs) So no, he's, he's number one. He's fan number one, in my opinion. 
of the show. Oh, he is. So, um, great. So today we're going to chat about Ted Lasso. And so if you happen to not know what Ted Lasso is, it's a TV show on Apple TV. It's about a college football coach who gets hired to manage an English premier football team, soccer, as we call it here. Um, it's funny. I When you move to New York, like the English Premier League is really serious because we have a, a huge number of people from England that live here. And then it's sort of taken over. So I don't know if it's the same in California and, and Phoenix where you've seen this sport kind of get more and more popular. I feel like this is just going to fuel that even more. Yeah, Nashville's but, just gotten their um, their first professional team. So it's beginning to take yeah. off. The professional side of it is beginning to take off. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things of why we love the show is it's a hilarious, heartwarming, and chocked full of leadership lessons, which is why I thought it would make an excellent episode of Reading Lens, even though it's not a book. So, Nick, why? So, tell me this: you you're a visionary, right? I mean, you yeah. you, you love thinking big. But uh, as I hear the title of this podcast, which <laughs> look, I've loved, um, you really limited yourself, didn't you? You called it reading yeah. lens. Why didn't you call it like um, I don't know, consuming lens? Or look, we can't even. We're really. Are you going to have to change the, the title of uh, your show now that we're talking about a TV show? I thought it was risky that they put my name in the show. You know, <laughs> that way we figure out he doesn't work out. We're just going to change him out. We, we like the concept. But uh, no, this is why I need you to jump on full time. We'll just easily make an adjustment to read and lens and it'll just work oh, out smoothly. Oh, that's, so. that's a great dad joke right there, <laughs> Nick. You know you've arrived when you can yeah. make a good dad joke. And I, I'm here for it. I like it. Yeah. So I'm sure you have the, all the time in the world to hop on once a month and, and read it, read a book. So, Hey, if you um, read it for me, I'll have all the time in the world. Let's do it. <laughs> Great. So, so the other word I need to put out is Ted Lasso has some adult themes in it. So, you know, obviously we're not going to cover that in this show. We're just gonna talk about the leadership lessons, but don't take this as a full endorsement to go and watch this with your family. This is not like this is not fireproof or uh, chosen. <laughs> this is, um, it's got some rawness to it. But I, I think that like everything else that we've been, you know, the business books, the leadership books that we've been doing, you know, we can learn from anywhere, even on Ted Lasso. So we're going to try to find those things and share them with you. So Ben, how did you first learn about the show? We were in a, uh, in a show hole for a while, my wife and I were, and we had recently gotten free access to Apple TV. Because mm -hmm. we had a new Apple D, Apple device and we're scrolling. And I remember seeing some promo for it. And honestly, I mean, I'm not a huge soccer fan. And so I'm going, why would I like... I probably wouldn't care about the show. But I had like what Jason Sudeikis had put out. And so I told my wife, I was like... And I tend to be the one that's, that's gung-ho about a show. And then it's terrible and we hate it. So it feels like a waste of time. But I went on a limb here and said, all right, let's try the show. And we watched, I think like five episodes that night. It was one of those where we watched one and it was like, oh gosh, <laughs> these are great. Let's watch another one. And then we were up till one in the morning uh, watching, watching the show. So it was, uh, it, it, we instantly fell in love with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the same for me. So we had the free subscription and I just, you know, turned it on. I remember the commercials from way back in the day. And I always thought those were hilarious and just an interesting concept. You know, when I was looking into the history of the show, apparently this character has has roots all the way back to when he did improv. And this was one of his characters that he would do in improv. And so it's kind of interesting that, that this is this has lasted that long and that it's finally come to fruition. So it's like it's been baking. It's like it's yeah. been brewing in him for, for a while. You can definitely see that too as you watch the show. It doesn't feel like something that, uh, you know, he... He's not trying to figure out the character. He knows it instantly. 
That's exactly like it's, right. It's just actually, in his soul. This is a good, I think, measure of how great of an actor somebody is, is when you watch it and go, I bet you that's what he's like in real life. Because I feel like <laughs> if I met Jason Sudeikis, he would be Ted Lasso, which he, maybe he is, maybe he's not, but um, he does an incredible job with, with the show. Yeah, I always tell people to give it three episodes. The third episode is the one where they kind of tell you what the show is going to be about in a sense, which is him, you know, really helping people know who they are and be themselves, I think is a huge part of it. It's not just you watch that first episode. And I remember talking with my my brother. He's a really hard critic. And he was just like, this is just Major League, like the <laughs> the Major League, the movie. Yep. And um, where it's this disgruntled owner who wants to destroy the team and get back at others. And, and so they put together a really crappy team and all those things. So so the same thing is going on here in Ted Lasso, but it really just takes a turn as you go and just turns into incredible characters and these leadership lessons and just heartwarming and uh, real. It's so, much, like, it's so much smarter and more endearing yeah. than Major League. I, I mean, I enjoyed Major League when I was a kid, but I don't feel like I walked away from Major League and went, ooh, my life is better. Yeah. Right? I mean, I laughed yeah. a little bit, but this, I, I laugh and I cry and um, I feel like they tug in the right places. So uh, yeah, yeah, my wife and I have really loved it. Yeah, I've been through it four times. That a boy? <laughs> Sorry, while you're and doing I, that, I'm over here reading books. No big deal, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, what's interesting too, like when it first came out, it came out in um, like let, this time last year. And I was, I caught on to it, I think towards, I think there was like one or two episodes to get released. So they release them once a week. So that's going to be really interesting for this crew because it comes out. It'll come out Friday before this airs. And yeah, I don't think people recognize it's only going to come out one at a time. I think that's so much better because I love then that conversation you get to have at work about the last episode. Like I missed that about television and now it's just like binge the whole thing in like, you know, two days. We're in the, we're, so. yeah, we're in that, that mindset of like, I want to binge it all right now. But yeah, uh, there is some, there, there are a handful of shows that we've watched that have released every week and it's painful, but it does build that conversation. Yeah. It annoys my wife, but I have this strange discipline to only be able to watch one episode and then I'm like done <laughs> for a week. Like, so I, I used Ted Lasso strategically last year when things were starting to get rough. I would watch one episode on Saturday night before I went into work on Sunday morning <laughs> just to like set the tone of like positivity and hope and like, you know, get out there. So Ben, what do you love about the character of show Ted Lasso? I guess we talked about the show. So what about the character of Ted Lasso? Yeah, I love that. Um, I mean, I, I watch American football. And so, you know, he's an American football coach that's now trying to figure out what English Premier League is. And I love that he focuses not so much on, okay, I'm the expert and I know the technical um, moves and positionings of every player on the field, but he's he's really focused more on building a team than he is um, executing everything perfectly. Um, that's what it feels like it draws me in. And then, you know, as soon as I've latched onto that, now I start to care about who he is as a person and his family. And so, um, that, that's what I love about, uh, <clears throat> about Ted, not just the show in general, mm -hmm. but about him is that he's not the, he knows everything he doesn't. Um, and he'll readily admit that, but he is trying to build a team and go somewhere with a team. So I love that part. Yeah. You just reminded me of a clip towards the end in the, in the final episode. There's one where uh, there's an offsides call and he goes, he, he runs up to the ref and goes, how is that offsides? And he's like, no, really? Like, how is that offsides? Like, I don't understand how, the, how this works. So it just, it just reminded me like you can see he's like learning throughout the whole thing. But, you know, it's interesting. 
maybe this is our first kind of point with this, but what's interesting that you can learn from Ted Lasso and how this might compare to the church, especially working on staff. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of you relate to this, but being able to be in different positions and, you know, it might not be that we're always going to be small group point people, but we get moved to first impressions or we get moved to um, being a campus pastor somewhere or we get moved to, uh, you know, having to pick up another hat. And I think what's what's awesome about Ted Lasso is it wasn't that he was a football coach. It was that he was a coach and that, you know, he was there for, you know, that character development, that um, seeing things through so that was transferable in all those all those different places that he was. Yeah. And I think that being a group's person and groups point person is probably the best training ground for any sort mm-hmm. of ministry that you get pulled into, whether it's pastoral care or, you know, first impressions, guest experience, or, you know, s- somewhere in family ministry or somewhere else completely groups ministry really touches all of the major pieces of, um, you know, ministry that, that you'd have to do because you just have your hands in people's lives. So, uh, I, I love, I love groups as a, as a you know training ground for lots of different ministries. All right, so let's dive into our first clip. We're going to have clips throughout the show, something we haven't done before. So hopefully these go well. Let me set up this clip. So this first clip is takes place over dinner. He is out with one of the local journalists that are in town, uh, Trent Krim from The Independent. So the owner of this team is really trying to um, sabotage Ted Lasso in this. And so this... Reporter is one of those like hardcore, like he investigative journalist, all these kind of things. And so they send Trent Krim to go follow him throughout the day. And he ends up being won over by Ted Lasso throughout this whole thing. And you can see like this is really the turning point inside of um, this for Trent Krim when he's he's going to ask him. So he's going to start with this initial question of like, you know, what you're doing here, you're going to destroy this town. They care deeply for this team. And um, Ted Lasso's kind of response to this is is quite incredible. And this kind of like sets up the tone for the rest of the show. Ted, Mm -hmm. what you're doing is irresponsible. This club actually means something to this town. I know that. I do. Tramp, what do you love? Is it writing? Yes. Yeah, good, because you're darn good at it. Thank you. Welcome. Me? I love coaching. Now, I'm going to say this again, just so you didn't think it was a mistake the first time I said it. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. And it ain't always easy, Trent. But neither is growing up without someone believing in you. I really should go. Deadlines. Yeah, yeah, you got to do the work. I'll say this, though. I really enjoy getting to spend this time with you, Trent. You actually mean that, don't you? Um, yeah, I, I think this is where I first fell in love with the show and getting to hear his his honesty right away and and sort of understanding like why it, you know those first couple episodes it's like man he's not taking this seriously like how in this how is this going to end up being the you know the typical story of uh, a terrible team that gets turned around and wins the championship and this is where you can see like oh this isn't going to be that show um, you can see that mm-hmm. you know. He, he cares deeply for, for those around him. And I think it's just such a great leadership lesson in that, that like, you know, through the show, he's constantly caring for people beyond what they can provide. And so I think that's one of the traps that we can sometimes fall into inside of our ministries is that I need leaders and therefore like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to just go and get people. And sometimes we just take people because we have a pulse, they have a pulse as opposed to like, you know, knowing that we have something 
for them and we don't necessarily just need something from them. To, to piggyback off of that with Trent here, I mean, he, mm-hmm. Trent's his enemy. But he never looks at him as his enemy. Never does. Trent has so much power in this moment because he's going to write an article that will, you know, absolutely slam everything that um, Ted is trying to do, everything he's trying to build. And then even on the personal side, you know, Ted's just moved around the world. And look, we just, as my family, I mean, we just transitioned. It's not easy uh, to make a move like that. And so, you know, Ted's dealing with all these things and he's sitting with a guy that has a chance to slam him. Yet um, he doesn't try to attack Trent's credibility or his character. He goes after Trent's heart and tries to pull him in that way. Um, What he needs from Trent is... Hey, I need you to write a good article. Um, but he goes after the, what am, What can I What can I offer to Trent that gives him life? And uh, th- this is a super powerful scene. That's really good. You know, it's interesting. I, before we recorded this, I threw on to our Small Group Network Facebook page just that we were going to be recording this. Just I was interested to see what other people had learned. And one of the things that Kyle Wright put, you know, repay evil with good. And I think this is like that first example of that where you just talked about how Trent Krim is trying to destroy him. He's trying to be evil, right? But what does Ted Lasso do in, in return? He tries to be good. And he does this later, even with... The, Kyle uses an example of Jamie Tart, who is this star player, right? And so this is what Kyle wrote. Ted, Jamie Tart is bitter, but Ted is still kind. And even gives him the nice note after Jamie scores a winning goal and beats beats them as a team. And so, you know, I, I think it's just an uh, excellent example of like, it's easy to go into these situations and realize like, this guy wants nothing to do with me. He's just trying to destroy me. Like, why why am I giving him the time of day? But, you know, Ted is, is super patient with him to, to try to get to know him better and, and recognize that he is a human being just like everyone else. You know, I wonder, and obviously we don't know the backstory of Ted's life. <laughs> um, that's not what the show is about, but... It does make me wonder um, how many times Ted has done just this. You're going to see that Ted's relationship with Trent changes over time. And so in a, in a certain sense, this works like his um, not tactics, but his approach, his posturing with Trent works in that Trent ends up writing an article that serves Ted and serves mm-hmm. the team. But I wonder how many times he did that and it didn't work like he was kind and generous with a reporter yet that reporter still wrote a defaming article so i think it's easy for us in ministry to go okay i'm gonna be you know overly gracious i'm gonna be super welcoming i'm going to speak truth into somebody's life because i want that story on the back end so that i can share it on stage in a few weeks and i can go hey look what Mm -hmm. god's doing in this person's life um as opposed to look me as a follower of jesus not me as a I need to recruit a small group leader. I need to recruit a guest experiences person. I need a good story to share. But me as a Jesus follower, I'm going to I'm gonna choose to give grace in this moment because that's what I want. Like I would want grace if I were sitting on the other side of me right now. Um, it it doesn't always work, right? And, and if you've been a pastor for any amount of time, you realize that I, I'm going to choose to walk with somebody as they're having a difficult season. And it may not be that they pull out of it and continue on at church. It may not be that they pull out of it and step in to lead a group. And maybe that's okay. Um, That can be an easy deterrent for us to go, well, then I'm just going to go after the people that I know are safer to be a group leader down the road. Um, As opposed to just going, no, I, in my character, are going to continue to value other people and bring hope and bring truth and bring life to this conversation, regardless of what they do with it, uh, regardless of whether I get the win out of it or not. Uh, I'm just going to continue yeah. to invest. Um, and and I feel like Ted's the kind of guy 
that would live this thing out uh, season after season. So one of the quotes from that clip that just really jumps out is, you know, Ted responds, for me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellows be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. How can we help our leaders be the best versions of themselves? Well, first of all, I love the sentiment of that. I really do. The, the quote is, the, uh, the clip is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, like, as a, as a Jesus follower, I never want somebody to just be the best version of themselves. I always want to be uh, helping craft and shape them into, the, in, into mm-hmm. Jesus, not just the best version of themselves, because I think the best version of themselves falls way, 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 way short of who Jesus yeah. is, because the best version of me um, is probably, you know, even, even as I'm trying to recruit a leader, the best version of me is simply replicating myself or uh, building my team or building our group's ministry. Uh, the best version of Jesus says, I'm going to be patient and I'm going to walk with somebody. So I, I know that's not why you were asking the question, no, that's a but great this point. Whole, like best version of myself is a, it's a little bit of a trigger for me because I've heard it so many times and I'm going, no, you're, you're thinking so small <laughs> for you. Um, I want you to be the, I want you to be Jesus who sacrificed his life, who was, um, who, who was more generous with his enemies than I even am with my friends. Um, I want that for you because that's a better version of you than you could ever be. Um, so, but I get the sentiment. So, um, I'll take your bait, Nick Lindsay. Um, (laughs) I'll go there. Uh, how can we help our leaders, uh, be the best versions of themselves and be the best versions of Jesus? Um, I, I really think, let, let me, answer your question with a question. Let's go all the way back to uh, the 70s when we were recording these conference <laughs> calls and not podcasts. Uh, I I still am a huge believer that what we do is not training, it's development. And the question that I like to ask myself over and over again is, if somebody sits in this ministry that God's called me to lead for, call it a season, call it five years, um, if you want to be really crazy and dangerous, call it 15 years. Like what if somebody sat in your ministry for 15 years, would they look any different? And that's a humbling question for me to ask myself. Would they look any different because of the development that God's done in and through them um, in the midst of the ministry that God's called me to lead? And sometimes I have to answer that question and go, I don't know. So let's look at, you know, the training that we offer. Um, yeah, we put a new leader's training in front of them, but, and that may help equip them to lead the, the, the right conversation week in and week out to know how to record their attendance, to know how to choose their next curriculum. But am I focused on how they're developing as a person? Am I continuing to offer them this? Um, here's what I want for you, not just mm-hmm. from you. So we'll continue that part of the conversation too. It's it's easy to go, hey, well, what I what I want from you is I want you to fill out your attendance form. What I want from you is for you to stay in in your lane and pick the right curriculum. What I want from you is to replicate yourself into other people so that we can have more groups so that I can stand <laughs> on stage and say, we have a group for you. Um, as opposed to sitting in the junk yeah. of life going, okay, no, what I what I really want is I want you to be healthy and growing as a leader. I want your marriage to be healthy. I want you as a dad, you as a mom to be growing in relationship with Jesus. So the best version of you is that your life over time doesn't get easier. Your life begins to look more like Jesus. And you, through every one of your interactions, are pointing people to Jesus, not because we've put that into a training, but because you've lived in this ministry 
for a decade and everything around you is beginning to transform uh, and you're living a life of joy, not because of your circumstances, actually in spite of your circumstances. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the greatest questions about are we growing spiritually is, um, are you growing more patient or less patient with those who are closest to you? So that's the question I want to go. All right. If in 10 years of my ministry of somebody being in this ministry that I've been called to lead, are they becoming more patient or less patient with their kids? with their spouse, with their in-laws. Um, if not, then there needs to be something about the way that I'm helping people develop yeah. that needs to change. Wow, you really took that to a place I did not expect to go. I'm now like, I'm not broken <laughs> over here. At <laughs> um, Sorry or you're welcome? I, no, it's more you're welcome. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just like, I wasn't, I love that you brought the the becoming like Jesus, right? Like that's that's a lot of, what our group's ministry here is is built around the the Romans 8, uh, 28, I think it's 28 through 30, which is, you know, becoming like Jesus. And so I love that that's, that's the version that you're trying to pull them to. Um, you know, it's funny for me, like what, what I try to do in, in that initial onboarding is trying to help them. So one of the ways I start my onboarding is I just have them go around when they're sharing their names, have them share one lesson that they've learned from their leader, because I find like that'll help. I can do callbacks later to be like, oh, there's that lesson that that person learned. They learned this here and that kind of thing. But what's great about that too is I love them because then they get to share what they've learned from their leader. But then it sets me up to talk about how I'm not looking for them to be that leader. Like God has called them to be, has has uniquely made them to be who they are and to play to their strengths and to sort of give them an authority that like, I don't want you to go and copy who you are. I want you to go and be yourself. And so I think, I think that's, you know, an easy way to bring that into your, your development or your trainings to be able to um, allow them to be themselves. You know, you brought up Romans eight twenty eight, and that's great. Cause I think it's, it's often misquoted in pop culture and it's just, it, it's quoted as, well, everything's going to work out. God's going to work <laughs> it all out. And the answer is no, it's not going to yeah. work out. It's not like you're still going to fail the test or somebody you love is still going to die or you're still going to mm-hmm. lose the job. Well, then w- what am I left with? I'm left with, then with a God who is weak and can't actually do what yeah. I need him to do. Right. If the, if, if the answer to life's problems is, well, it's all going to work out. If I'm being honest, yeah. it hasn't worked out. Yep. Uh, but no, that's not what that verse is saying. The verse is saying that it's probably not going to work out. And when it doesn't, God's going to mm-hmm. use that too to shape you and form you into the the image of Jesus. Not the best version of yourself, but the image of Jesus. Um, Nick, I love that you you are kicking your leadership trainings, which is called, it's fine to call them leadership trainings uh, because we're equipping yeah. people, but you're equipping them not just with, um, hey, here's how to do your, your job, if you will. Here's how to be a small group leader, um, but you're helping them think critically about their relationship mm-hmm. And you're establishing yourself as I'm going to ask you the questions that really matter, not just the questions of, is your group meeting? Tell me how often you're meeting and what you're studying. But I want to know about your heart. So when I meet with leaders, uh, when I meet with small group leaders, that's what I'm always focused on. And I always say, look, we'll, we'll train the other things. We'll train you on how to pick your curriculum. In fact, if you want to knock that out now, here's my three favorite ones from this <laughs> season. And I'll look, I'll email you these as soon as we're done here. Now let's get to the stuff that matters. Yeah. Tell me about your marriage. And this isn't going to make it on stage. And this isn't going to make it into a, a an article that I, I send out to all of our group leaders. I just want to know about you and how you're doing. Because I'm also convinced that when it comes to small group leadership, if the leader is healthy, everything else will mm-hmm. work out. It will. Everything else will work itself out because of 
training or because somebody else is actually more equipped and a better facilitator or a better picker out of curriculum or a, <laughs> a, a actually a better like motivator of people. That's okay. But yeah. if the leader's healthy, all that other stuff will work itself out. If the leader is not healthy, all that other stuff will not work itself out and the group will implode. The group will, will fall apart. So I always focus on the health of the leader. And I love that even in your new leader training, you're beginning to establish that that's your mm-hmm. value, not just yeah. doing yeah, the job. I- you're a great small group pastor. <laughs> that won't one. make the show. <laughs> no, I was kidding. <laughs> oh, come on. It should. This better stay I appreciate in, the man. compliment. Um, I think the last thing I want to, I want to hit on with this clip and it's kind of this, this theme throughout this entire show, but Ted knows the only thing that we can control is our character. And so I think what's really interesting for me, I have a personal experience somewhat. This is, this is kind of, this might be a bit of a stretch, but, um, I, I've had a professional athlete inside one of my groups before, and it's it's just been interesting how it humanizes these people you used to idolize, right? Like they're mm. trying to live their life too. But what's interesting is their careers are so short, right? And so I don't know that this is necessarily seen in, in Ted Lasso, but what he is really trying to do is set them up for life and long-term. He knows that you know, there's these stars and they have these egos and that they're great right now, but this is going to end in a few years and they're going to have to live the rest of their life. And I think he knows that if he can build their character and that, you know, they can handle any circumstance that comes for them, it's their character that's going to see them through it. And so I think it's just another thing that is so important to learn from Ted Lasso is, you know, you might have this, this group leader for, you know, two to four years or however long you have your group leaders, by the way, it's a good statistic to figure out um, is how long you have a group leader for. Uh, But Knowing that you're going to set them up for success, not just in the short term, but for the long term, I think it is huge opportunity that we have in our you know, ministries. I think it would probably change the way that we approach training and development if, if we said, okay, if I'm going to have them for two years or three years, what would I want them to know and mm-hmm. be and do? Rather than, okay, I got to get through new leader training and then I've got a once a year training that I'm going to invite them to, um, put all that to the side and just ask yourself the question, all right, if I've got yeah. two years with somebody, what... What do I want them to come out knowing and doing and being? And I think that will begin to shape, you know, how we view training and development rather than, okay, what's the benchmark that they have to hit um, by week six? Yeah, it'll affect your model too. So like when I did this, uh, we're a transient Mm -hmm. church. So because we live close to a city, we have people coming and going a lot. And so when I did this to figure out how long I have a leader, ended up finding out the median, which means like the middle one, um, was 14 and a half months is how long I have a, a, a leader for. And I would have told you, oh no, we have it. It's probably like two and a half years. And when I figured that out, that it's 14 and a half, it changed how I had to rethink, how am I going to reproduce leaders? Because 14 months is generally not enough time to do the apprenticeship model, right? They're not going to have that much hands-on experience with their leader because their leader is going to move soon. <laughs> um, or they're going to experience yeah. life change of having children or, you know, some other event that sort of happens to them. And so it's, it's adjusted how we have to do our training or we have to do our uh, uh, onboarding or, you know, helping people get up to speed and so forth. So um, definitely something to look into and, and figure out, you know, why are they joining, but also why are they leaving? I think is, is super mm-hmm. important. Okay, so in this next clip, um, Ted Lasso is playing darts with the owners, the owner of the football club, his her ex-husband, because he has just bought shares to get back into the club and he wants to be a part of this and it's it's messy. And so they're they're in this, you know, battle back and forth of uh they they take a bet as to, you know, 
who can win this match or or such. And uh, you know, Ted Lasso starts playing darts and he appears that he's not good at it, and that he's just this you know bumble guy from Kansas, and that he doesn't know that much, and he's just you know uh, all over the place and not very smart, and all these other judgmental things that we have. And so this is a clip from it. <laughs> You know, Rupert, guys have underestimated me my entire life. And for years, I never understood why. It used to really bother me. But then one day, I was driving my little boy to school, and I saw this quote by Walt Whitman. It was painted on the wall there. It said, be curious, not judgmental. And I like that. So I get back in my car, and I'm driving to work. And all of a sudden, it hits me. All them fellas that used to belittle me, not a single one of them were curious. You know, they thought they had everything all figured out, and so they judged everything, and they judged everyone. And I realized that they're underestimating me. Who I was had nothing to do with it. Because <laughs> if they were curious, they would ask questions. You know? Questions like, have you played a lot of darts, Ted? Which I would have answered, yes, sir. Every Sunday afternoon at a sports bar with my father from age 10 to 16 when he passed away. Barbecue sauce. always about the show man i can watch these clips so many times and it's still it's like as if i'm watching it for the first time and it just like tugs at me i know yeah so obviously big theme here is is being curious so you know why is curiosity important ben well look i actually was just telling somebody this um who's on my team just this last week they were heading into kind of a tense meeting where um they were going to need to tell some people who are way high up in the organization that what we're doing isn't working. That's not Mm-mm. fun um, at all. Even for like an Enneagram eight, if you're an Enneagram eight, <laughs> thank you very much, yeah. Lindsay. You still don't like, that's not fun. Um, I think it's better. And I love what Ted says here about asking questions um, rather than statements. I, questions invite people in statements, push people mm-hmm. away. So I, I love the leadership principle of ask a lot of really, really good questions. Um, questions drive a conversation rather than statements that shut down a yeah. conversation. So um, whether, you know, whether we're talking about group leadership and asking good questions or organizational leadership, uh, you don't have to come in with all the answers, but if you come in with a lot of really good questions, the answers begin to kind of emerge um, without you having to say, here's what you have to do because I think it's the best idea questions kind of pull that out. So being curious is a huge yeah. part of leadership. Um, again, whether it's organizational, small group leadership or leadership in your home, mm-hmm. um, asking good questions kind of draws people out of their same way of thinking, but it also draws people into a relationship with you um, and shows that you genuinely care about what they're walking through rather than I genuinely care about my agenda. Like we've already talked about how it's better when we're able to have a posture of this is what I want um, for you rather than mm-hmm. from you. Questions draw that out of people. Here's what I want. Here's what I want for you. And I'm just going to ask you questions rather than I'm going to tell you what yeah, I want Yeah, and, and for, for me, I mean, we're a North Point Partner Church. And so we do Starting Point here. And so they really hammer this home inside Starting Point of 
being curious and I've I've learned I've allowed that to leak outside of just when you lead a starting point group but I, I, people don't get to their opinions and or their beliefs without ex, without some sort of experience or 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 what it may be and so trying to figure out how to get to those second and third questions I think has been really important into figuring out like okay how did you arrive here or, or what what allows you to believe this um, you know, most recently I had to have a difficult conversation with someone, um, that was in one of our groups and it was a theological difference. And I just remember like praying before going into that meeting and God just being like, get to know her story, get to know her story, get to know her story. And so I just started the meeting. I went in and was like, Hey, I know we haven't met before. I thought we would just start by sharing our stories. And I just went first and it was just crazy how many things in our stories kind of aligned or experiences that we've been through. And it just really helped bring that like, it just helps with the empathy for me. For me, I'm someone who you already pointed out, I'm a, a Enneagram 8. We struggle with empathy. Um, and uh, <laughs> yes, I find the stories are so helpful at at identifying or at, at helping me be empathetic because then I'm just like, oh, I can see myself or I can see how I would react that way if I had those same experiences or, you know, I would be tend to believe that way. Um, inside that. Yeah. So rather than just coming Mm -hmm. in with a hammer, which is what an eight would love to do, um, rather than coming in with a hammer, yeah, you could get, here's what the Bible says, black and white. Um, (laughs) Yes. And, and are you wrong? No, No, you're not wrong at all. Um, but the approach is, is what really matters. Um, what is it that, uh, I mean, I've heard this before and you have to, to a hammer, everything Mm -hmm. looks like a nail. So it's easy for you as an eight to go, or I mean, look, I'm a nine. I'm a nine wing eight, so I can understand uh, being an eight. But even you know, even as a as a nine, and I want harmony and consensus. Um, it's a lot easier for me to come in and go, yeah, but the Bible says this, yeah. so get in line. Um, which is just the quickest way to shut down a conversation. And look, if I if that works, you know, in that moment, and I'm able to get somebody to get in line, um, they're getting in line behind me, which also just means the next time a difficult issue comes up, they're going to go, okay, Ben, mm-hmm. tell me what to believe, which is not what I want. Um, I went because I'm, I'm going to keep coming back to this because I'm more focused on their yeah. development, not their training. And part of development is not just, okay, I want you to come back to me every time you have a thought or a problem or an issue. It's no, I want to help you develop so that you're able to navigate yeah. life and point yourself to Jesus and point others to mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, I'm not here to be the hero. Curious. That's Yes. <laughs> You're not. Um, and if you are, then you've missed And you're going to burn out quickly. Um, <laughs> yes, you are. Because you're going to create a whole bunch of little followers that now you have 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 200 people that every time something comes up that they're not sure how to process it, they're going to come yeah. to you. And you you can't manage yeah. and lead that way. Um, curiosity, and this is something that... Um, so I came from a North Point Partner Church before I went to where I'm at. Now and one of the things that uh, that I learned there is it uh, curiosity sees possibilities instead of problems and so I love drawing that out of people because it's easy in in you know the the throes of life for us to feel like everything starts to cycle and spiral around us and you know we kind of sit at the center of the entire world and curiosity when people have been genuinely curious with me. Um, instead of going, well, you're an idiot and you're thinking wrong and you're acting wrong, which would have been a very true statement when they're able to go, okay, but let's see what God might be doing here. Um, I feel like that vortex that has cycled around me has begun to crumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, 
life hasn't gotten easier, but the vortex around me um, has begun to crumble because they've helped me see what possibly God could be doing here rather than just, well, yeah, this is a terrible situation. And yes, you should be angry. And yes, you should rise up and fight against it. Rather, they're going, okay, yeah, that is that is true. But can we step away from it for a second and go, what might God be doing in mm-hmm. you, both in this moment and in the future that he's preparing you for by causing you to walk through this difficult season? And look, I'm a pastor and I would love to say all these vortexes in my life happened before I became a pastor and before I began following Jesus, but that's not the case. Um, I've gotten pulled into plenty of my own self-induced vortexes where I needed somebody else, another Jesus follower to go, um, hey, you need to take a deep breath and ask yourself what possibly might God be doing rather than just focusing on the pain of this moment. Yeah. So how do we slow down to be more curious? Uh, we, uh, one, so let me super personalize it. Um, I surround myself with other Jesus mm-hmm. followers who are far along in their relationship with Christ. and. I don't ever pretend that I've arrived because I know I haven't. And we put forward a posture of, hey, I have all the answers. Um, it's easy for us to begin to believe that so that when life throws something at us that's really difficult, we go, oh, well, I know the answer to that. The Bible says this. Um, instead of having people around us that can help us slow down, how do we slow down? I don't know, Nick. Um, I would love to say it's through our spiritual disciplines and it's through prayer. Um and I would love to say, well, and it's through following Jesus that we slow down. Um, I think that's the right answer, but I don't know that yeah. that's the one that helps. But for me, the right answer is I just try to have other people around me that can help me uh, gain perspective when I yeah. can't on my own. Um, and then I just try to replicate that in other people. I try to be that same exact voice in other people's lives um, that I know I need in mind when my life begins to either vortex or crumble one way or the other. Um, so... I know the right answer, but I also know the answer that motivates my own soul. And it's when yeah, I have other people in I my life. I would say like, this has been a really hard one for me to learn because I'm such a super structured person and I've learned to just give more margin for those conversations. So, you know, what you may have to talk about may be 15 minutes, but if you budget in 30 minutes, 45 minutes, right, you're going to, you're going to take the time to be able to, to ask those additional questions to get to hear their their story more. And also just like understanding like we're in the people business and it's important to pay attention to the person that's in front of you and to take the time to to do that. And like, I realize we have agendas inside our mind and stuff like that, but like maybe it's just in that moment, just understanding like, no, God, maybe God needs me to hear this for, you know, a, a reason. And it gets, I think that's where like it butts up against my superstructure. It's like, no, I need to be accomplishing this, 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 and this. Like this person isn't helping me do that. Like, and I think when I do that, I'm seeing people as objects as opposed to being humans and being people that, that God loves. So I just wanted to preface that I fail at that a lot. Like that's what I, that's <laughs> what I want to get to and, and not just constantly being like, what can this person do for me? Right. But that, mm-hmm. no, this person deserves the time to, for me to get to hear their story. You know, we talk about margin in our budgets yeah. a lot, but margin in our time is yeah. huge and margin in our meetings allows uh those conversations to breathe mm-hmm. uh yeah and that's really one smart. of my favorite quotes is from uh fred rogers and it's there isn't anyone that you can't learn to love once you've heard their story and that's kind of motivated a lot mm-hmm. of those when i when i run into difficult conversations or difficult people i try to just come back to that like okay what's their story that led to this and i think that's one of the biggest things that you see in ted lasso is the pain that everyone is experiencing and him taking the time to figure out like, okay, how can, how can I draw this out 
and understand, which then leads to this empathy, which leads to them being able to to grow and and move beyond um, that pain. So, That's good, cool. man. This has been so meaty. <laughs> let's let's get to this last <laughs> clip. So this last clip, this clip, I don't want to spoil things, so I'm just going to put it this way. This clip takes place after a really big, important match. I'll let you figure out when you watch through which important match this is, but it doesn't go the way they anticipate, and things end not great. So here is the speech after their loss. Hey. Y'all played a heck of a game out there. We may not have won, but y'all definitely succeeded. I mean, you gave the champs 90 minutes of hell. Zero, where you at? That dude had more saves than a Baptist preacher. <laughs> Give it up for Zero. Yep. That's right, what about Roy? Roy chased down his grandson. <laughs> Stopped him from getting an easy one. Now look, this is a sad moment right here. For all of us. There ain't nothing I can say standing in front of you right now that can take that away. But please do me this favor, will you? Lift your heads up, look around this locker room. Yeah. Look at everybody else in here. And I want you to be grateful that you're going through this sad moment with all these other folks. Because I promise you. There is something worse out there than being sad, and that is being alone and being sad. Ain't nobody in this room alone. Sam, do you remember what animal has the shortest memory? A goldfish. That's right, that's a goldfish. Sam, what do you think we should all do once we get done being sad and or angry about this situation? I think we should all be a goldfish. I agree. Let's be sad now. Let's be sad together. And then we can be a gosh darn goldfish. Onward, forward. Ugh, that one every time, dude. <laughs> so good. I think this, this is also just what makes this show so timely because, you know, this coming out during, you know, pretty much like the height of of COVID and just so much loneliness that's going on. I'm just so happy that this is one of the messages that he chooses to go through. I love that he acknowledges what's actually happening as opposed to just trying to make everyone feel better. Like, hey, like, I know we lost this game, but we're going to be all right kind of thing. Like, I love that he's just him just acknowledging like, you know, we're sad or we're angry, like acknowledging those feelings, I think is is just so important inside leadership. And so that quote, you know, I promise you there's something worse out there than being sad. And that's being sad and alone. And no one in this room is alone. And it's just like every time I hear that, like, man, if you're in groups ministry like that is our motto, right? We we know the pain that people are going through and we're just really trying to help them as best as possible provide that community, um, you know, for a place for them to belong. So um, any initial thoughts before I get into the questions? I realize this is like such a moving yeah, clip. It, it's I mean, he's speaking to a core part of humanity, which is mm-hmm. pain. And and yeah, it's just the, the loss of a game, but <clears throat> we've all walked, walked through difficult things. There's no avoiding that. Um, but there is avoiding going through it alone. And you're right, Nick. I mean, this is why we do what we do because we know life is going to fall apart. And I've said before, I think a, a good small group solves about 95% of, of life's issues um, because it doesn't solve the difficult things, but it means you're going to have a community of people to walk you through it. So uh, 
I love that. Yeah, like you said, I love that they chose this moment to not just try to say, hey, just pick yourself up by your bootstraps. It's no, sit in the pain Mm -hmm. of this moment, but know that you're not sitting in it by yourself. Yeah, I think that's just so good. You know, what's interesting though, as you think through this and um, is, you know, we do this for our people. We provide a place for them to belong and not be alone. But it always makes me ask, like, do we do this for ourselves? Right? Do we make sure that we're not going through this alone? I think this is one of the things of why small group network is just so important because group leaders have other group leaders and our coaches have other coaches, but rarely do us point people have other point people to reach out to. So, you know, Ben, what are some of those steps you make sure that you're you're not alone? We're we're fools if yeah. we think that we're above needing community ourselves. And I, it, it's challenging for a pastor to have a community within your church that you are fully open and honest and vulnerable. Um, I get that. I, I feel that because there are times where you're going, gosh, if I shared everything, all the struggles that I'm dealing with, with, you know, fill in the blank with my boss, it would cause this mm-hmm. other person to walk away from the faith or walk away from the church. And so it's not responsible of me to go, hey, you're not going to believe it, but my pastor said this to me today. And they're going, wait, your pastor is my pastor. And if he's going to preach to me, I can't hear him saying that because if he said that to you, I can't be at this church anymore. So there is a wisdom that will be found in, in going, okay, I'm going to keep it, a, I'm going to be honest in my small group, but I got to keep it a little bit surface level so that I don't tank everybody else's faith. But look, you say it from stage, Nick, I say it from stage, like you need a group of people that you can be fully open and honest and transparent with. And I'll say that to everybody mm-hmm. that's listening to this right now. If you're on staff at a church or you're a key volunteer, you need that environment where you can go, I don't like my pastor right now. Everybody else <laughs> in your group can go, yeah. okay, I work at a bank and I don't like my boss. I work at a, at a factory and I don't like my boss. And the group goes, oh yeah, that's terrible. Let's talk about that. But when you're on staff or a key volunteer at a church, you kind of can't say that. Maybe you can, maybe yeah, you have you, a unique group. Yeah. Um, that just puts so much value on Nick, what, what you're doing with the small group network and on the, on the huddles that I'm a part of with other pastors. It's so mm-hmm. valuable for me to be able to say that. And for somebody else to look me in the eye and, and smack me around and say, Hey, you're dumb for even saying that or to go, Oh yeah, you're right. Here's how I would structure my response. Um, but if you don't have that, you're left to your own devices and thinking that you're right and thinking that you know best. And that's not a wise place to live. So I just choose to find those environments. They're, they're honestly, a lot of times yeah. outside of my local context, not outside of the church. They're within the church. They're just outside of my local context. So I just have to prioritize that. Um, and I use the same excuses mm-hmm. that everybody in my church uses. Well, but do I really have time? Do I really have the money to go out and eat with somebody else or have coffee with somebody else? I could be spending my time investing here rather than outside. Um, I use the same excuses that everybody else uses in terms of getting involved in a small group. And so I have to press those through those on my own. Yeah. Yeah. A couple tips that I would give on this, uh, on making sure you're not alone. So one, I try to build it into my schedule. So every, I have a time slot every Thursday at 3 PM is kind of when I try to do like some sort of networking. So it's either I'm going to make sure I have a huddle going or you know, there's someone else I'm reaching out to or just something that allows that door to be open. The other thing too, that's really good on that is then you can do the reciprocal. So like if someone from, so if someone reaches out to me and they're like, Hey, I would love to talk to you. Usually you're going to, I'm going to say like, Hey, can you do this Thursday at three? 
and it just provides an opportunity for me to get to talk with other churches and and, and things like that when they need help as well. Um, so that's your thing. If you want to email Nick at, at smallgroupnetwork.com, just, just, you can just put Thursday at three in the title and I'll, I'll know what you mean. But I, I think that's one of the things that helps again, create the margin for those kind of things that we've talked about earlier. The other thing I would say is you need people outside, which you just talked about. I do think that you need some people inside. And the reason for this is that the small group network is great and they're going to totally understand the ministry aspect of what you're going through. They're not there in person to see if you're absolutely telling the truth, right? They're not there with you on the ground and knowing, okay, are you lying to yourself or are you trying to get us to tell you like, yeah, it's okay for you to leave your job or it's it's those kind of things, right? Um, Obviously, they're going to do the best they can to help you guide you and let you know like, hey, your situation is not good. You need to get out. But at the same time, I I think it does also benefit when you have... And I'm not saying like do this in your own small group, I but I think that you should have... Um, I've heard of others refer to it as like a board of directors or just someone that can speak mm-hmm. into your life that is able to say like, hey, you don't look healthy or you don't... Like, you're not yourself. Like, are you okay? Like, have those people in your lives. Um, and I do think too, it's, it's more than just saying like, Oh, um, Kenny's going to be the guy that does this for me. Like, I think you need to have a conversation with Kenny and say, Hey, Kenny, I need you to be this person in my life and give him the opportunity to say yes or no, him or her to say yes or no. So yeah, it's a both and, um, and you miss out on a go ahead. Yeah. Why don't we just end with this question? Are there any guardrails in relation to this that we should be observant of, of, of when we've hit like that we're alone, we need to to, to yeah, reach out to someone. You, you hit on it, Nick. I think the guardrails of people inside and people outside feels like that's the two guardrails yeah. that keep us sit, like humming down the interstate because, you know, we got the group of people yeah. inside that keep us honest because they know our spouse and kids. We got the people outside that are being honest uh, because they see ministry and our roles differently and don't have the baggage of. I need to convince this person to stay because they're my pastor. So I, to me, like those are our two guardrails. Um, and we, we need to have, I, I've heard it called, you know, your board of directors, your prayer board. Um, we need to have mm-hmm. those, uh, that group that checks in with us um, on a consistent basis that, um, that really knows us. Uh, because it's easy to fake it as a pastor. It's easy to go through the yeah. motions of, um, because when you're on stage, you, you do in a certain since have to fake it. And that's okay. Look, um, do you always want to go to, you know, if you're a banker, do you always want to go to work on Monday morning? No, but you have to, because that's your job. Um, on a Sunday morning, do a, you know, do you always want to go up and host the weekend services? Maybe not, but you, you put a smile on your face and you do it because you see the value in it. Um, you've got to fake it in certain aspects. You just need people in your life that are going to call you on it when you are faking it, um, and see that consistent pattern. And you need to give them access to your life. You need to give them permission to ask you those hard questions. So I don't know if that's a guardrail or a um, just a like a key to your own heart that you need to give people the permission to go. I want you to ask me hard questions, and I'll be as honest with you as I know that I can, as I as I as I'm able to. Well, Ted Lasso is great. I feel like we've this. We say this every episode. There's so much more, and this one there actually is. I feel like we could have done an entire series on this of, that lasts an entire year. Uh, what's crazy, it's only one season so far. That's the other thing with it. But if you go to our Small Group Network Facebook page, you'll see what other people have said um, who have also watched this. So if you've watched it, go ahead and throw your lessons in there if you haven't seen it. Or 
you want to hear hear more of those things. There's some really really good ones in there um, that that have been shared. Uh, I got to share Kyle Wright's earlier. James Browning's got some good stuff. Steve Kern, Shane Norcross uh, jumped in there as well. We didn't even get to the goldfish thing. And I think the other <laughs> one that's really great is there's a really important forgiveness scene that's in there, but that is covered inside the Facebook group that I think is is really worth like checking out. So. All right, Ben, as we wrap this up into our lightning round that we do here, what's another book I'm going to throw out here since this we're not just doing books, <laughs> but resource. What's another resource that um, has had Ooh, an impact good. on your it's leadership? It's kind of dangerous, like sharing a, a book recommendation if you're only halfway through or sharing a show recommendation <laughs> if you're only a few episodes in. Uh, it, so I'll share something with the caveat of, I'm not sure how it's going to wrap up, but I've been listening to uh, the new podcast, The Death of Mars Hill, and I've been really intrigued. Yeah. The rise and fall of Mars Hill. Yeah. I mean, I'm listening to it too. So good. I feel like I was, I mean, when they're saying, you know, Mark Driscoll was the number one downloaded pastor in America, I'm going, oh yeah, I was one of those that was downloading him. And, you know, he's doing the conference circuit and writing books. I'm going, oh yeah, I remember reading all of those and listening to him. And um, I think it was episode three, they mention, uh, they, they play a clip from their final gathering of Mars Hill and Rick Warren was the one who preached that. And I remember sitting in the green room, listening to that sermon. And so like, it, it feels like it's, it's yeah. kind of tugging on some of my own, um, you know, pieces of my own journey. And, um, you know, as I'm listening through it and I was kind of watching from afar, what was going on at, at Mars Hill. I had um, a buddy who was their, their groups guy. And so I was watching from afar, but now I'm getting an inside look. And um, my hope is that it ends up feeling super redemptive and helpful for building healthy cultures in the local church. Yeah, uh, This is my caveated recommendation. I don't know that that's where it's going to land. Uh, I listened to kind of the special features at exactly. the end of episode one or two, <laughs> and it feels like that's where they're directing it. Um, and, and if, you know, Mike Cosper holds true to the way that he thinks on the church, it's going to be super redemptive. So I'm intrigued at this point, if nothing else. No, it's been really good. I would recommend it. It's one of those ones. You listen to the first episode because I think the title goes like, I know in my head how this ends. Like, why is this worth listening to? And then you listen to the first episode and you're like, oh, they're going to hit on a lot of topics. And I think it's beyond just Mars Hill. I think they're talking about a lot of church culture that I think those that work in a church will really appreciate. It's one of those ones that like, I really appreciate this for those people who work in a church. I'm. This makes me nervous for people who don't mm. attend church when they mm. listen to this of just like, not every church is like this. There are elements, you know, there's, there's different things. There are, you know, it, it's human just like everything else and, and broken. So uh, what about one book you're looking forward to? Well, it just came out. Um, I just haven't had a chance to read it yet. It's the updated version of Creating Community by Bill Wilson. Yes. And um, I cannot wait. That book was foundational in how I think about relationships and community yes. and groups. And Bill's put a lot of work into updating it based on what he's learned over the last the book came out. Yeah. Actually, it was almost 20 years ago, probably. And I can't wait to read it. Bill is one of my favorites. And he's been, he's the guy that's been curious in my life. And he's asked mm-hmm. me some of the really, like, he's, he's one of the best question askers I know. And I can't wait to read the updated version of that. Yeah. I, I, same. Like, and when I really appreciated the first version, I don't, it'll be, I'm really interested to see how much is new and what's, what's changed. One, I love that they're going to be honest. So I guarantee you, Bill's going to say, we got this wrong before. Um, And then I think the other thing that's great is they do so great with the why. Mm -hmm. So they don't necessarily, what I remember about creating community the first time through was 
It wasn't, hey, go do this model. This is the way you should do it. This is how it works for us kind of thing. But it was more like, here's the questions we wrestled with. And here's how we answered them. We're going to share how we answered them. But you should answer these questions. And so I think that was really valuable in that. So it'll be interesting to see what that has been. But yes, he has been a great friend. Uh, Ben, this was awesome. Thank you for finally making appearance on Read and Lens. Thanks for having me on, Nick. It's been a blast. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm Nick Lindsay, and I want to thank you for listening in with us. Thanks to Ben for sharing your experiences. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We're going to be back next month, and Alan White is going to be with us, another one of my close friends that I've been hoping to get on here that I've been... Uh, I talked to you earlier about how like I've waited because you were on Carolyn's show. So uh, this is another one of Carolyn's recurring guests that I'm borrowing. I just, for those that didn't see, I just used air quotes. Um, so sorry, Carolyn, but she's been doing, her podcast has been great. She's had on Derwin Gray this past month. So make sure you go back and listen to that episode. She's got some more people. I believe Bill Lutz is going to be on with her soon as well. Um, and then come back next week for Inside Saddleback. Steve's going to be talking about pipeline and getting ready for the fall and just some keys to help out there. So definitely one that you're not going to miss. So thanks for joining us. Remember, leaders are readers who also watch Apple TV. So take care, everyone.